Craig called me up and said, uh, we got this model of the Lido in a computer and we want to know if you can turn it into mapping. And I was like, what? <laughs> Welcome to the Side Hill Live podcast. I'm Grant Raffle. Thanks for tuning in. Today I'm excited to bring you my interview with Brian Zager. Brian has been digitally recreating golf courses for many years and is currently working on the Lido project in Wisconsin. Um, I was lucky to work with Brian for a few months over the summer uh, when I was at the Lido and uh, had a great experience with him. I uh, still remember uh, my first day out there meeting Brian. It's very, very cold and windy, sand blowing everywhere. Uh, but I knew right away that we'd get along and um, really enjoyed talking golf course architecture with him and picking his brain about some of the uh, GPS and mapping techniques uh, that he has a lot of um, expertise and knowledge in. It's really an incredible story and still hard for me to believe that someone with Brian's specialized skill, talent, and passion uh, for this sort of work just happened to grow up and live a few miles away from the Lido site in rural Wisconsin. Brian and I talked about his background and turning his passion for computers and golf uh, from a hobby to a side business to now uh, potentially being a leader in an emerging area of golf course design. So uh, really enjoyed this one. Um, just a couple quick notes. Um, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, we're on all of the major podcast players. Um, also, please follow along on social media at The Side Hill Lie on Twitter and Instagram. And you can check out thesidehillie.com for all of our podcasts and articles. And also, uh, please reach out. I'd uh, love to hear some feedback on this episode and, and see what everyone thinks of it. Um, but with that, let's get to my conversation with Brian Zager. So, Brian Zager, welcome to the Side of Live podcast. Thank you. Uh, it's very exciting to be here. It's my podcast debut, so we'll should be fun. Yes, I'm excited and honored that you're making it here on this one and um, mm -hmm. excited to um, kind of hear a lot about what you've been doing on the Lido, which I've been lucky to be a part of and your background uh, in golf and kind of golf design and technology, which is pretty interesting. So uh, maybe to start though, you can just talk about kind of how you got into golf uh, as a kid and, and uh, how your interest in golf kind of developed. Sure. So my dad was big into golf uh, and got, got me started at a very early age. So uh, it was something that I guess runs in the family a little bit. Uh, well, my dad really actually learned the game all on his own. Uh, and, uh, and so he taught me and uh, we're, we're actually kind of self-taught. So that's fun. 
Um, yeah. So. And then you, you played kind of growing up and into into high school somewhat competitively, I believe, right? Yeah, I uh, I never I actually was not on the high school golf team because I wasn't really very good then. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I could have played, and I maybe regretted a little bit that I didn't, but. Uh, but uh, yeah, I actually got more into competitive golf after after uh, school, uh, so I'm kind of making up for lost time there, playing some amateur tournaments and stuff like that. Right, right. But, I know you and your dad uh, play a lot of uh, you know team events as yep. well, which is pretty. It's cool. really really great to be able to share the fun of the sport with him. Yeah, yeah. So I know uh, you know you you went to college and kind of got some training in in uh, computer. Yeah, technical stuff. So maybe talk about that. So I was always kind of interested in computers and technology and stuff like that, and I uh, actually got into uh, golf games on the computer. We, we got my we got our first computer when I was like ten years old or something, and uh, it actually came with a game called Jack Nicholas Signature Edition, and this game had a course designer with it, and uh, that's what really kind of started my interest in golf course design and you know 10 11 12 years old you don't create much interesting <laughs> pretty, pretty bad work although i i still saved all that stuff oh that's awesome but uh uh yeah that's what really got me started interested in golf course uh design and yeah i maintained that interest in uh, computers all the way through college i majored in web and digital media and uh kind of didn't really know what I was doing with that major other than I like computers and stuff but uh yeah no that's that's great and um you know that's funny that you started designing courses that young yeah uh it I, was like a, a hobby you know even at that age you know right I kind of, you know, I loved golf so much, but I, when I was a kid, I could only go when my dad wanted to go, you know. Sure, sure. And I wanted to play the courses that were around my area, so I started, actually got started in recreating courses, even at that early age. Not very well, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've, so I've been kind of doing stuff like that my entire life, almost. It's kind of right. interesting. That's crazy, yeah. Well, I mean, now you're obviously doing that on a much more kind of advanced, uh, in, yeah. a, in a more advanced way. So we'll kind of get into that, I'm yeah. sure. But, um, but yeah, maybe just talk about kind of how you, you, um, you know, after college, eventually you kind of got into the, um, you know, golf design, yeah. computer business, you know, more as a career. So maybe talk about how that developed. Yeah, so I, uh, it was a hobby for all through high school and college. And, you know, there was success of newer games that, uh, and I kind of advanced techniques of like tracing holes with satellite imagery and and stuff like that. And so it was just kind of this learning process that I did on the side as a hobby all while I was in school. And uh, eventually I got with a, a software company called Red Chain, and they do uh, uh, software for simulators. Mm -hmm. And I was really fortunate that they let me kind of start start to design some courses, and and then they would uh, pay me for the work. It wasn't actually really like a formal deal at the start. It was <laughs> just like I did this course, and then I 
sent it to him and then they paid me and it was kind of a nice deal and then eventually I started doing more formal work where I worked with a you know always almost always with red chain rather than uh, individual courses but they would get orders for courses and then I would do them for them sure uh, so it became kind of a side career it wasn't really a, a full-time job at the time but uh, I so I worked on a full-time job in a software company and then I did this kind of stuff on the side Sure, sure. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool that you turned kind of what you were doing anyway into yeah. a way to make a little more money. So yeah, it was. That's yeah, it uh, was. that's very cool. So yeah, kind of maybe you can talk a little bit about you know the process in general terms. You know how that goes when you're you know recreating a, an actual physical golf course that people play for like a simulator or, or a game. You know some of the different technology and and mapping techniques that kind of go into that. Sure. So, uh, well, I'll tell you how in the early days we would trace satellite imagery. Well, in the very early days when I was first learning, I just did everything by eye. <laughs> and that was not great work. But then sure. when it started to get a little more serious, we'd, we'd trace, and this was still in the hobby phase when I started tracing satellite imagery, I found programs that would like make the images transparent and then you would trace it on the course mm -hmm. software you know, kind of like a hack way of doing things. It was, the software really wasn't built for that. And then uh, later we started using uh, elevation data. In the early days it was uh, digital elevation models that were from the USGS that were like 30, uh, I think it was 10 meter actually, uh, spacing, which means that every 10 meters there was a point with an elevation. And this gave you kind of like a really broad uh, land surface sure, sure. that didn't really give any of the details. So you still kind of had to do all the details yourself. Uh, and then tracing images on, on that and then forming the bunkers, the fairways uh, by hand, you know, and eye still. Yeah. And then later when it started becoming more of a, a, a side business or career for me, it, it I, uh, that's when the LIDAR came into play where we'd have like spacing every, every one meter or five feet or some, somewhere in that area where it becomes really detailed and you right. can actually see all the land features. You don't have to form any of them by hand anymore. And, and it, it's, uh, but you still gotta, it, I became more of a kind of a GIS kind of not professional, I would say, because I never went to school for it, but I kind of learned what I needed to learn to build golf courses with uh -huh. GIS software. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so it kind of, it's developed from there, you know, try and, the, it's all always all been all about, you know, on that side of things, creating the most accurate version of the course that I could. Mm -hmm. And then on, and, and all the paid work I did was pretty much, uh, recreating real courses because mm -hmm. that's what the the simulator companies want or the yeah. the clubs want or you know sure they'd find they'd find a club that wanted their course and they sell the simulator to them and that mm -hmm. was kind of part of the deal so that a lot of the courses i did was were, were along those lines right um oh, that, that makes sense um so you talked about you know you kind of use that satellite data to get the fairway lines and the bunker edges yep. and all that sort of thing yep. and then you know maybe you can explain though because i know uh when, when i when we first met and talked about this 
I didn't have much familiarity with LIDAR, so you right. can maybe explain to listeners that aren't yeah. so familiar uh, kind of what, how, how that data is collected and, and kind of how, how valuable it is in, in uh, what you do. So LIDAR is uh, where they, sh they shoot a beam of light out of you know, something in the air, like airplane or a drone or something like that. Right. And then it returns the signal, and based on that, they can tell the landforms, you know, it works kind of like sonar in the water, you know, and you, you know how far away the land is from the airplane or whatever. And uh, so you shoot all these points and then you get all the data back for that location and the heights of them. And uh, it kind of forms a grid that you uh, use software then to turn into a mesh that recreates the land in a digital model. Right, right. So yeah, so they're just basically flying planes or drones over these courses, getting yep. elevation points every few feet or so, and that can create the uh, yeah. pretty good model of the of and, the land. And a lot of the data that I use is publicly available. Uh, it can be kind of hard to find because it's scattered here and there and everywhere over the internet. But I, usually I search, you know, the the county or the state or. Uh, there's a, a website I like to use that kind of aggregates where you can find some stuff too. And uh, so most of the data I actually use is just publicly available. And it's kind of becoming more and more um, prevalent, this LiDAR data for, yeah. for just land in, in general, right? Yeah, I would say in the U.S., maybe 75% of the country is covered with uh, publicly available LiDAR now. And that's all just a lot of it in recent years. Yeah, a lot. It's really ramped up just in the last four or five years. Wow. So yeah, you talked about you know designing courses on the um, on the computer games and recreating these courses. So how did that kind of uh, give you kind of a, an interest in in golf course architecture itself? Sure. So there uh, was so I, I was mainly recreating the courses that I knew around my area for a while and then I started kind of playing around with things just on my own with not not a clue of what I was doing you know creating creating courses and uh, that were fictional you know designs and uh, then uh, I think it was in about 2005 uh, the, the the game that I had been designing for that uh, for a hobby uh, some of the guys on a forum that played the game and created courses for it, created a, a contest. They called a hole by hole contest where every hole, uh, a bunch of people would enter and then everybody would vote on what the best hole was. And then that would be one hole in that course. And then we'd go on to the next one. It was routed ahead of time by somebody on a piece of land that was interesting. And uh, what, what was really cool about the, the this contest was all of the discussion about all the holes that were entered into it. And a lot of those guys were really into like minimalist architecture or golden age architecture, stuff like that. You know, some of the McDonald and Rainer templates and stuff like that. And uh, that was really fascinating to me. I, cause I was in strategic design I hadn't really thought about it that much until then, but I was uh, really interested because to me, golf has always been like two games in one where it's a physical test and it's a, 
it's a mental test too you know you gotta absolutely think your way around the course and uh so the coolest thing about uh architecture i think is presenting the golfer with these decisions or challenges that they they need to make uh in the round and uh these guys that were running this contest they were just really into that and i mean one guy had a website where he went through all the template holes and it was really cool uh really cool time for me in doing this stuff because i was learning so much about that um, so right. that really got me into course design and course architecture in a totally different way from what i had been doing before that so this was about the time i was in college when i okay. was doing that very cool. Yeah, and you kind of become a part of this online community of a bunch of, you know, golf architecture yeah. nerds. And this is even before kind of the more recent, uh, you know, kind of flourishing of golf course architecture, you know, online and everything maybe yeah. in the last five I, years or so. I think it was, well, there was some of it already starting sure, back then, sure. I think, because that was kind of a big thing. I remember that's when I first found out about the website Golf Club Atlas, too, and we... Mm -hmm go over there and read a whole bunch of stuff about it over there too. But what was really cool about this contest was you could participate in it. You yeah. could enter a hole and then people would say, well, you, you didn't, you did this and maybe you could have did this. And uh -huh. it was just really cool, yeah. really hands-on way to learn. And then you get a playable course out of it at the end on the computer, which right. to me was, you know, that makes, you know, when you're just designing a course on paper, you never get to play it. And, in a computer you get to play it i mean i know it's not the real the real thing it's not golf but it's still i mean the games i always like to play lent themselves more towards the simulator side not the not the you know fantasy fictional kind of stuff sure so, sure so that makes sense yeah yeah were, were any of your holes uh picked as part of these courses <laughs> unfortunately no no uh not in the uh first so we actually did two courses like this uh -huh. and i think i got a hole in on the second one if okay. i remember right but the first one i did I first one you came were up uh, empty you were learning a lot i was on that learning one a lot then, yeah you know. uh yeah perfecting the strategic design so yeah i remember when we were talking about like minimalist architecture and i created a hole that had like no bunkers on it and then this guy said well i know what you were trying to do here but there's nothing interesting going on here either so i was like so you talked about your interest in golf course architecture and then you had kind of the technical background as well and you know recreating courses for simulators and computer games and all that sort of thing so and you were you know born and raised in uh, wisconsin rapids yep central wisconsin yep um so then it comes to about 2013 and you heard some rumors about potential course just down the road so yes. <laughs> talk about talk about that and and uh how that all played out yeah so i heard some rumors that uh potentially uh mike Kaiser Resort coming to central Wisconsin, which middle of nowhere here, which is very hard to believe. It's still hard to believe to me today that it's happened. Um, and uh, so as soon as I heard about that, I, I tried to find out everything I could about it. And somehow I found out that Oliphant 
Golf Construction was going to be involved with it, or potentially anyways. And uh, so I went to their website. I found a contact form on their website, and I reached out to them. I sent a message just telling them my background, what I did with Golf Simulator stuff, and if there's any way at all I could be involved or help out, I I was really excited about it and wanted to. So didn't hear anything back right away. But uh, over the next couple weekends, I, because uh, I was working on the weekdays then, but on the weekend I went down there, and it's only about 15 miles from Rapids, so it wasn't a long drive. And, um, I went down and took a bunch of pictures. Uh, I think over the series of the three weekends, I took about 300 pictures maybe or something like that. And the first first weekend, I looked at the satellite imagery of the area and I found this sandy blowout area that was already there naturally so I thought well I'll go check that out and uh some of my favorite pictures from the from the site are actually from that I actually had one of those pictures as my desktop image on my computer for a very long time <laughs> nice, and nice. then uh the the second weekend I checked out the lidar data for the area and uh I found this big V ridge that was like the most prominent feature on the land. So I thought, well, I'm going to go check that out. It's like 80 foot and makes a shape of a V. So it comes to a point. And, uh, so I walked around that area and, uh, got a bunch of pictures of that. And that turned out to be where, uh, Mammoth Dunes was built. Yep. And, uh, the, the first area that I talked about where that Sandy blowout was, that was where Sand Valley, the first course was built. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the third day I kind of walked, uh, I, I, I walked the more Western side of the property and the Southern side. And, and some of that is where the potential future Sedge Valley is going to be. So I was right in the area of every one of the courses that are, are coming go. without even knowing exactly. I think the only thing I knew was that it was, uh, North of Badger Avenue and that, that was it. So it was pretty cool to kind of figure out exactly end up taking pictures of exactly where the courses ended up being and so i i took i had all these pictures like 300 some pictures i i kind of sorted through and found maybe like seven or 80 best ones and upload them to a website called panoramio which is not in existence anymore google owned it and they shut it down later but uh i posted all these images uh I posted a link to all these images in uh, Golf Club Atlas, and uh, since I thought there was a thread going about it, you know, and about uh, the rumors of about the rumors development, and here. I yeah. thought, well, and there was people speculating about, well, this land can't be that great or whatever, and because it is kind of flat everywhere else, and it just happens to be these unique features that are in this specific spot, and. Uh, so uh, after I posted that in Golf Club Atlas, the next day I heard back from Craig Haltom of Olafon, and uh, he wanted to know if I could do any mapping with the stuff I had done for golf simulators. And uh, I had never done any topographic mapping before, so it was kind of a new thing. But I said, I'm pretty sure I can figure out with the software I use. And sure enough, I was able to do all uh, mapping for the entire property for him. So that was kind of how I got a little bit of a start, uh, thanks to Craig and uh, the real world of golf course architecture. 
There you go. There you go. So you went from I guess yeah, mapping uh, courses to to um, to put onto simulators to mapping a site to yeah. actually be built as an actual yeah. golf course. Yeah, and I guess Craig told me later that he was really desperate for pictures of the the land because people <laughs> were asking him all the time. Oh, nice. So I guess that that really uh, got his attention when I posted that. Yeah, so, you serve cool. an important purpose, yeah. not only with the pictures, but then the maps. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so you've mapped, you know, I guess this, the whole piece of land here yep. at Sand Valley. Mm -hmm. And um, and then that's come in useful, obviously, for the Sand Valley Mammoth Dunes, the sandbox that's been built. And you mentioned mm -hmm. Sedge Valley, which, you know, down the pipeline, potentially. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, maybe you could just talk a little more about your kind of mapping experience with those and and other courses um you know before we we get to the lido the, the current uh, project sure so uh i was uh able to you know craig you know i owe a lot to craig for for helping me get into this and uh i got to come out on site a few times when uh sand valley was being built the first course Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't really get involved in a working capacity there. It was more like, you just come out and see what's going on. And it was really cool. And then uh, when Mammoth, was, the construction for Mammoth Dunes was started, uh, Michael Kaiser asked me to create a model of the land for the 14th hole, where they planned to put the 14th hole, uh, because they were going to have a contest in Gulf Digest for uh, the design of that hole. And uh, so I got to, uh, I used the LiDAR data from, from the area to make a, a, a model of that land so that people would know what it looked like. And then I, we created a, a video uh, rendering for the Gulf Digest website out of that. And uh, I ended up uh, telling my friend, Brian Silvernail about this. Uh, this I, is one of your friends from the uh, kind of online yeah, golf course design community. Exactly. And he was doing uh, courses for uh, as a side, uh, uh, side job kind of okay. as well. Because uh, he's a graphic designer. He has a day job. But uh, he, he gets paid for doing some simulator work on the side too. Uh, kind of like what I did. And uh, he... Uh, so I told him uh, I wasn't allowed to enter the contest, unfortunately, because I was part of the 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 work or something. I wasn't allowed to enter, you know. Sure. So but I told Brian about it, and uh, I, I told maybe one or two other course designer friends from the simulator work. Uh, I don't know that, I don't think any of, anybody else but Brian entered <laughs> that I told, but Brian entered it and I guess, I think I heard something like there were 500 entries or something like that. Uh -huh. And uh, he ended up winning it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, another crazy. crazy story that is, doesn't sound believable, I know, but it is, <laughs> it actually happened. Yep. And uh, so they actually flew Brian up here, he's from Florida. Uh, flew him up here uh, when they were working on the design, you know, he was kind of like consulting uh, with David, David McClay kid, and they made some changes. I think David had some ideas that he wanted to do that he, that uh, Brian didn't. So Brian actually originally had a couple of bunkers that you would have had to carry before you 
ran it down the side of the hill to the green. This is a drivable par four for anybody who doesn't know what it is. Uh, but where it's like the fairway is on the side of a hill and you, you kind of shoot it out to the right and play it like a breaking putt <laughs> and it rolls down onto the green. Well, Brian had originally had a couple bunkers you had to fly actually before it would run down the hill down to the green. Uh, so they actually uh, removed those. Uh, David felt like it would discourage people from going for it. So it's not exactly his original design, but it you know the basics are still there. It's pretty close, and it's definitely one of the more fun holes uh, on the property here. Yeah. You get to you know, as you said, just hit the drive and let it roll. Hopefully, onto yep. the green. So so anyway, the point cool. yeah, the point I was trying to make by getting to that story was that. Uh, uh, I got to meet David McClay Kid then because uh, I got to come out when they invited Brian up, you know, flew him up here for that. And I I got to uh, play some golf with him, which was pretty cool. Actually, me and Brian played a team match against uh, David McClay Kid and Ron Witten of Golf Digest, and uh, we actually won. So <laughs> I still have my $6 that I won from them. I haven't, uh, I haven't spent that. Awesome. Um and uh I the uh I through this relationship that I of meeting David McClay kid I was able to start doing some mapping work for him as well and that kind of got me another uh person that I was doing this mapping work on the side for which was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, no that that is very cool. And um so you've been doing the mapping as you said for Sand Valley, you know, Craig Haltum, uh, yep. Michael Kaiser and and you got David McClay kid as well. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, I guess it wasn't that long ago that, that Mammoth was being built, but no. we're now a few years later. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now you're at the Lido. So maybe you can talk a bit about, um, you know, when you first heard about the Lido project and kind of what they were asking you to maybe do for it and, sure. and kind of how your involvement with that project began. Yeah, so it was June of last year, 2020. Uh, Craig called me up and said, uh, we got this model of the Lido in a computer and we want to know if you can turn it into mapping. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> this is like completely out of left field to me because sure. they're not about recreating golf courses usually here and I didn't know that this was something that that the Kaisers had actually talked about in the past doing I didn't ever, I didn't realize that I was familiar with the Lido from the golf course uh architects uh or the golf course uh simulator uh game I should say Mm-hmm. because uh there was a guy actually that was cre- recreating the Lido for a game way back in the 2005 era when I was doing that uh-huh. contest work, uh, uh, stuff as a hobby. So so I was somewhat familiar with the Lido. I didn't really know the holes that well, but uh, when Craig called me and told me, I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> this, this is different. I never, ex- it's it's like you, you never, you never think you'll be surprised out here anymore. And, and then you get a crazy surprise like that. So... Right. So they wanted to know, and it was in, the, uh, Peter Flory did a model, and I guess I didn't realize this, but he was uh, posting on Golf Club Atlas his progress of of creating uh, the Lido, recreating the Lido for this game, the Golf Club, and uh, and later became PGA 2K21. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and um, I had never worked with that software before, so it was kind of a. I was aware of the game. I'd pl- I had bought and played the game, but I just never created courses for it. Uh, so I had to go in there, and obviously I accepted the challenge immediately <laughs> because. <laughs> well, it was kind of up your alley as yeah, someone yeah. that has recreated courses and done a lot of mapping and yeah. kind of married those interests and, and An uh, experiences pretty well. So. Opportunity like this doesn't come along that often. So, right, right. so I started investigating it, figuring out what I need to do to create a topographic map out of this model that Peter had created. Right. And just to kind of back up or, or give a little background for people not as ingrained sure. in this as, as you and me, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Peter Flory had spent a few years creating this model on a computer game, obviously had no idea that it would eventually right. be built in the yeah. real world. So he basically was designing holes on the game um, based on, you know, data, um, you know, photographs, uh, aerial photos uh, mm-hmm. of the original Lido course yeah. on Long Island. And he created this model for people to be able to play in the computer game. And I then get- your task was to try to take that and make it into an actual topographical map of the course yes (laughs) so yeah i guess he uh as he was creating and he was posting his progress on gulf club atlas and he'd keep getting more and more information from people sending him pictures and stuff like that and so that was uh that was how he did it and uh Mm um i guess we felt that uh or michael felt that it was close enough to to use it and Tom Doak as well felt it was close enough to use it as our main model for how we were going to build the Lido out here. Uh-huh. Uh, so the challenge, I guess, was to get that onto paper because right. <laughs> uh, everybody, wor- nobody works in computers in the golf architecture <laughs> business right now. Anyway, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but uh, well, no one works in computer games, at least. No, nobody works in computer games. <laughs> you still needed to get it into some other format. Right. So, so, as you said, that was quite a challenge. So how did you kind of figure that one out, and how did you turn the computer game you know, design into an actual map of the course? Yeah, well, so all of the software I had worked with in the past just saved the course in a mesh, basically, and you could extract that out of the, their file, and you would load it in a program like Global Mapper or some other GIS software, and you'd be able to create a topographic map out of it, just like I create maps out of, you know, LiDAR data. Sure. But uh, unfortunately, that that was plan A, and unfortunately, <laughs> the golf club did not save their their mesh. They saved individual actions of the user you know, like they raised it two feet here, they raised it two feet there. Every one of those individual actions is saved in their file and then their their program like recreates the course every time out of those wow. the list of actions. It's so crazy that they would even save it that way to me. <laughs> but <laughs> sure, yeah. uh so that meant it was gonna be a lot harder to do this than just, you know, extract a mesh and and turn it into, you know, LIDAR or uh, into a you know, topographic map. Yeah. So I had a plan B. <laughs> I had kind of had this plan B in my mind all along that I would use the tool that uh, there's a, like a measure tool in the game that allows you to uh, just click and it records 
you know, XYZ point data for that particular location into the uh, file. And I thought, oh, I could use that as if it was LIDAR. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'd have to ha have a way to click, you know, a million times in the game to get a million points. Right. Um, so, and I actually should back up and say that there's a guy that wrote a LIDAR tool, uh, a, a program, a LIDAR program, to uh, import LIDAR data into the golf club because there's no way to do that uh, okay. in the software itself. Mm -hmm. uh, and this guy, uh, I actually reached out to this guy to find out, you know, how the file format was saved for this this game and and he was really helpful with one email uh he really only uh needed to send me one email and show, told me you know he gave me kind of a ba very basic overview of what the file format was and and uh so then i knew that there was uh this saving of the measurement data in there so mm -hmm. that's kind of how i had this this backup plan idea. So when, if not for him, I don't know if it would have been possible either because I wouldn't have been able to figure out the file format. And he had done all this work to uh, do that. So I really, really want to make sure I thank him for that. We should definitely thank him for that in definitely. some way. Um, but uh, so, yeah, my backup plan was, re uh, you know, I, I had worked with a scripting language called AutoHotKey in the past because some uh, some software that I had worked with for golf uh, simulators had some kind of clunky UI where like you would want to delete an uh, object or something and you'd have to do three menu clicks or something instead of just hitting the delete key. So AutoHotKey allows you to take control of the mouse and keyboard and just uh, run run a script that you know says click here or or hit this key or whatever mm -hmm. uh so i wrote some some code in out of hotkey that would click uh the mouse and and move it you know like every five feet or something i think we actually did the whole course in uh the whole Lido plot in nine nine or ten foot spacing or something like that and then the green sites in five foot, I think it was. I don't remember the exact numbers for sure, but it was something like that. Yeah. And uh, so I wrote this code, and then uh, the so it takes control of the mouse and just clicks. And the fastest I could get it to go was five times a second. So it clicks a point every five times every second. It shifts over a little bit, yeah. click, a little bit, click. Uh, and it took, so at 10 foot spacing, it took like, I don't know, 15 hours for it to run the, the entire course <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but uh that and then then i sat there and and uh i didn't have to sit there through that whole thing but when we uh wanted the greens in a little more detail i actually went around and started it uh, on every green and like i did like 40 yards in front of the green too not just the green so it was kind of like the entire green site and we did five foot spacing there and uh that would take like about 30 minutes so i'd start it and then i'd kind of do something else uh with the with while i was waiting and then i'd go start the next one so that's how we did it and uh or how i did it i should say I, and uh so um, you yeah so you got the uh so that's how i got it to record all of these points in the file 
and then I wrote some Python code to extract the point data out and put it into a text file, XYZ format, and then I imported that into my uh, software that I use for the LiDAR data and treated it just like it was LiDAR data and then created a topographic map out of it. That's, there you go. That's all there was to it. Nothing to <laughs> all it. There was, yeah, sounds sounds easy, right? Yeah. No, that's that's funny yeah. and it's, some some good. Uh, yeah. Some, now that I know how to do it, it is easy. But you know, figuring it out was yeah. a challenge. Figuring it out for the first time, not so much. Mm -hmm. So you went through and and created that, um, you know, topographical map of the Peter Flory's model yep. in, the, in the game, mm -hmm. and then that became the basis for. Uh, Tom Doak's plan yes. uh, for the Lido itself. Mm -hmm. Yep, so he uh, took that and he added spacing between the holes because some of the holes are kind of dangerous for today's standards. Uh, so we couldn't build it exactly the way it was without being uh, a little bit dangerous. So, And I think Tom said something like, we're going to build it as close as we can without the risk of lawsuits or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> so... So we added the spacing and we had to space so so we we spaced the the top lines you know mm -hmm. and uh he uh filled in kind of the gaps. Right. So each individual hole is the exact same each but there's just a little space in between yeah. some of the holes that were so especially on, yeah. close. On yeah. the original grading plan each each hole is identical to what Peter had built. Right. Um but and then we've made some changes since then. Right, but we right. Can get into that. We'll get into that into the the whole uh, process in the field. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I mean maybe you know you can talk about how it went from this project, uh, kind of a computer uh, job for you to yeah. now like an everyday out walking around the property. Um, right. So how did that come about? So I had always wanted to kind of work on. A, ever since Sand Valley started anyways, work out on a golf course, you know, while it was being built, because I just thought it'd be a really cool opportunity. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do out there, but I just wanted to do it, and I told Rob Doom, the head of agronomy here at Sand Valley, that I really wanted to be involved in the next course, which at the time I thought was going to be Sedge Valley. Uh, and so I think maybe talking about it with him and some other people maybe gave my idea, but I got a call from Craig Haltom again uh, in December of this year, and he asked me if I wanted to do GPS work for the Lido, and uh, that was really cool opportunity. Uh, I had never done anything with GPS before, really, uh, other than, you know, your phone, but <laughs> not, not any of the high-detail GPS, but uh, he, he basically... Uh, uh, he had looked into it a little bit and, and, uh, um, he bought the, the Trimble, uh, Catalyst, which is a subscription based, uh, thing. And we had, uh, he just basically, uh, told me to go figure out how to use it, you know? <laughs> so that was pretty cool. I kind of got to you know, learn something that uh, was going to be applicable to what we were doing out there. And and the basic idea was that we were going to take the GPS and stake contour lines out there. Right. And uh, then the bulldozer would build it to whatever we staked out there. Right. And uh, that's kind of how I went through most of the winter. Yeah. So you basically had the, 
the GPS with the um, the plan loaded onto exactly, it, yeah. which would then you know you can go stand in any place and it'll tell you you need a two foot cut here or one foot fill here you know to to build up the contours to match the uh, the model from just yeah. the, the current land that's a relatively flat you know nondescript uh, well, there piece is, of land here in, the, in, yeah the original one we used was it worked with your phone which was really cool because. You can use any app that uses GPS with it on your phone, but so it just uh, made it more accurate, right? Well, what so what was hard about it was it would just tell you your elevation, and you'd have to look at the map and see, okay, I'm on this contour, right? And I'd have to do some math in my head. Oh, how much fill or cut do we need here? Right. Okay, so you you're you know out there with the with the GPS, as you said, using your phone, but it's a more accurate. Because obviously your phone is only accurate to a few feet. You it's need ten little, feet or more. Yeah, <laughs> and you need the, a lot more accuracy to try to build a golf. Yeah, the Trimble was, um, you know, it was supposed to be uh, like less uh, quarter foot, I think it was in elevation. Mm -hmm. um, once in a while, we'd have some issues with it for some reason, and it would be like a foot off, and we weren't, weren't exactly sure why. So, so we had a few issues, uh, but. Uh, it would have worked all right, but um, yeah. So so that was the the plan for a while, and then I guess one day you we were, ran into we, someone out there that kind of changed the course of the project. Right? Yeah. So in the middle of February, uh, like the coldest week of the year, we had great weather in the winter all year until February. Uh, I mean, I should say when when I when Craig first asked me to to do this i thought well we'll probably work through december and then we'll pick it up in the spring you know? right. <laughs> we had this super mild winter uh and we only got a little bit of snow at a time we never had a huge snowfall so uh we kept working through the whole year after all winter and uh yeah in the middle of february uh this guy this 80 year old guy <laughs> walks up to me while i'm uh with jorge the bulldozer uh, driver and sticking contours and telling them what we're doing so this guy walks up to us and says you know you guys could really use a gps bulldozer things would go a lot easier than sticking every contour <laughs> and yeah. it was like uh this moment that's just kind of you know kind of luck i guess we probably would have maybe figured out that we need a gps dozer eventually but uh uh, anyway, I talked to this guy for a little bit, and then, yeah, I guess he owned a construction company, and then he he was retired up here and living up here or something. And uh, I so I texted Craig his phone number, and uh, I didn't hear anything for a while, which is uh, not not unusual, but because Craig is always really busy, you know, you don't always hear back from him. But uh, a couple of weeks later, we had. Uh, GPS bulldozer was coming to do, give us a demo, <laughs> so, and it wasn't the same company as this guy who who uh, walked up to me. So I don't know if we found a cheaper deal with somebody else or what, but uh, I mean I assume that that triggered the whole thing. For sure. Otherwise, you know, it's a big coincidence. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it's fair to say that was uh, probably the reason. Uh -huh. um, so so yeah, so the GPS uh, bulldozer kind of has changed, changed the, the project yeah. in yeah. a big way. Um, so, 
yeah, maybe you can talk about kind of the current setup out there with the, the bulldozer and then the rover and, and yeah. how that all kind of works together to try to recreate the Lido. So the GPS dozer really changed everything. Um, took everything to the next level, I guess you would say, because yeah. uh, well, and, and it was another huge challenge for me to learn how to use this software for the to control the do GPS dozer, but uh, we had to get our mapping into it and uh, people who we worked with sent the, uh, set it up with the con uh, one foot contour plan that we had, the grading plan that we had, but mm -hmm. I had this point data that I had extracted from Peter's model, so I really thought we, we should really be using that because it's more, more closer to uh it had more of the humps and bumps that peter created and we were going to lose some of that if we used the one foot data so i had to learn how to use the software and it had a bunch of proprietary formats that you couldn't really do anything with but it did have one format i, fi I figured out that it had uh called land xml that allowed you to create a mesh uh it it's a format that's a mesh format that allows you to put it into the system and after that I was able to get the point data in but anyway I got a little ahead of myself there I think but uh, <laughs> the GPS dozer uh it it works by um it's kind of like 3D printing for land because <laughs> so the the operator of the dozer has to get it somewhat close you know, it's still like running a normal dozer until it's somewhat close. But on that final pass, and I'm probably oversimplifying things, but on that final pass, it the blade knows whether to go up or down or how to shape the uh, land exactly like whatever map is in that uh, computer program on the dozer. So. Right. Because it has the, the elevations yeah. that the, the plan, you know, it has all the plan elevations in there and it's just the blade follows those. So if it says, you know, go down here, it'll, the blade will just automatically make that slight cut and exactly. you can recreate the, the contours to what, maybe an inch or two? Yeah, so yeah. 0 0.05 feet is what we're supposedly accurate to with this GPS system that we're, right. we're renting from them. And... Uh, it has a base station which allows us to be more accurate than what the the other system we had uh, was. So, so point zero five feet. I think it's about a half inch. Yeah. And uh, and you you can go out there and check it with the rover, and it's like spot on, and it looks like Peter's model too. It's really incredible how yeah. close that. I mean, we were kind of we were getting somewhat close when we were staking contours. But we were, you know, kind of poking around in the dark at the same time, and it's it's I, I kind of equated to when I used to shape things by eye in the computer for for games, and then I got lidar data, and you know you kind of see where you were wrong, right, <laughs> and right. and you're like you thought you had it right, and then this thing comes along and. Now it looks right. Now, oh, I, I can see the mistakes I made now. Sure, so sure. now, you know, you have the extra level of confidence that you're that close to Peter's model. Now, what whether it's uh, exactly, whether Peter's model is an exact recreation of Lido, that's still open for debate. But. Sure, sure. Well, obviously there's limited information and, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, there's some room for... Uh, 
for some creativity on some of the final shaping as well. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, so maybe you know you're you mostly on the Lido property are going around with the, the Rover, which I've been able to do a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, there's still some value to the kind of staking yeah, to, my, to get the larger cuts and fills. Yeah, right? my job now is more like uh, to, as far as the GPS work anyway, is to go to areas where it's not really even close to ready for the GPS dozer yet and tell them how much, you know, flag how much is needed, you know, how much cut, like, you know, the the beard screen on number eight is like the back of it is like a 14 foot fill so <laughs> or just right. behind it is 14 foot fill so you go out and you 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 and the nice thing about this system is it actually tells it has the map in it and it tells you you know exactly what you need to do you don't have to do any math in your head or anything. Right. you just, just go to that spot and it says oh you need 14.87 feet of fill here or whatever <laughs> So, right, it's just doing the calculation of the uh, the difference between the current elevation you're standing on and the elevation in the uh, in the, plan. the model, yep. yeah, in the plan, yeah. yeah. Yeah, very cool. So, um, so yeah, so I mean, what have been your impressions working on an actual uh, real life golf course, and uh, especially one you know being recreated? It's obviously a unique project, but uh, just curious your what more than six months in now so well it's been an incredible opportunity and a lot of fun every day is something different uh i've never seen a golf course construction before so uh you get to do a lot of different things that i never would have even thought about like putting liner in for the pond yeah <laughs> that is a fun da- fun task <laughs> yep. uh and uh putting the wet well in uh, that was interesting um all kinds of stuff that i never would even give a thought about so kind of doing a whole bunch of different jobs out here i mean just not just the gps work so it's a lot of fun um and then you know more recently since uh brian schneider's been here uh quite a bit lately uh, they actually asked me to line up the 1926 aerial that we have of Lido with our golf holes. So we separated the holes out. So I had to line up each hole, uh, and uh, with this aerial, and we actually discovered some areas. You know, Peter actually didn't have the ability to trace the aerial in this uh, game that he did the model for. So you know, it's something that I would t- kind of take for granted in older simulator software stuff um but uh he actually did a really good job all things considered because a lot of things are very close and i wouldn't imagine that he could get that close without you know doing a direct trace but we are finding spots here and there where bunkers are a little bit different shape or a little and a lot of it has to do with which which uh we actually have a later aerial 1940 aerial and a 1926 aerial and peter may and we have the plasticine model too so there's like three different uh just in aerial or overhead uh, images that we could use and peter maybe use the 1940 more use the plasticine more Uh, but we're right now we're using the 1926 aerial the most because we feel it's it's the oldest one. We feel it's the closest to what McDonald originally envisioned the course to be. So we're finding areas here and there where uh, 
the, uh, what Peter had done is not quite lining up or it's a little bit different. And uh, I've actually been tracing uh, the images, uh, like the bunkers and the fairway lines and the tees and greens and stuff like that. Based on the area. Based on 1926. the 1926 aerial. And then we've been taking the GPS and I've gotten to go out there and, and trace and flag those lines. And uh, where they're different, we kind of decide what we want to do. And uh, I've gotten to talk with Brian Schneider a lot about golf course architecture and, and sometimes even make some some decisions because <laughs> right. sometimes uh, we are, uh, they, they aren't here and I, I just try to make the best decision I can. And a lot of times it seems like it's pretty close or maybe there's just a little difference that he thinks should be done. But I really feel like... Um, I'm having an impact down here and making a, making a difference in the how close we get the get to the original Lido, you know. Right. So, right. really, it's really been a cool experience. Yeah. No, that's awesome, and it's such a unique uh, project in the you know it requires this kind of uh, technology to try to get it as close as possible. And yeah. You have that background, so mm-hmm. it's kind of a a. Uh, coincidence or maybe something more that uh, that you're here doing this yeah it's I, I i said before that i i feel like i'm kind of uniquely qualified for this project because i recreated so many courses in the computer for simulators and now i'm getting to help them recreate a course in the real world that used to exist but now it's going to exist in a different location exactly so that's and yeah and getting to talk with with these guys like brian schneider and about about this and it's it's the coolest job I've ever had that's for sure <laughs> and I probably I just can't believe I'm doing it sometimes but I'm really excited to be here that's for sure yeah well um I guess you know just to wrap up I'm just uh curious on your kind of impressions of the course as it's starting to come together here with a lot of the holes shaped um you know what what are you kind of looking forward to out there uh, once it becomes playable <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of really cool holes out there um what comes to mind obviously the channel hole is going to be really cool it's a par five where you can drive it left along the long way or the the shortcut and uh that, well, that was actually one place where i got to make put some input in where i said we really need a t that's like for the 275 yard hitter because that's me <laughs> and carries about 230 to the to the shortcut otherwise the back tee that we had and the the original leo tee that didn't make a whole lot of sense but uh it's because you know from the leo tee i'd always take the shortcut from the back tee i'd always have to go the long way so that's an example of some some input i've gotten to make um but yeah no to your original question of yeah, the fourth hole is going to be amazing. The twelfth hole is going to be amazing. I think it's a cape hole with a, uh, a punch bowl green. I mean, yeah, that to me that that might be the yeah. the highlight of what I've yeah. seen. That that twelfth hole is so unique and probably one of the toughest holes out there too. So. I think we're gonna find a bunch of really cool things out there as we as we go. Um, like. Uh, we were just recently working on 17, which is the long, longest par five on the course. And it has uh, cross bunkers in an area where, you know, if you don't quite, if you hit the fairway, you're probably just going to try and bomb it over those cross bunkers and maybe even reach the green, even though it's the longest hole. 
But uh, if you miss the fairway, then you got to think about these cross bunkers and if you're going to lay up. And we found in the aerial, there, we uh, saw that there's light colored areas and darker colored areas in the fairways. And Brian Schneider said to me, well, we think that these light colored areas are dried out, you know, high spots in the fairways. And we saw this uh, shape just in front of the cross bunkers that was like a plateau. And uh, we think that uh, McDonald uh, designed it so that if you lay up and you lay up on this plateau, you'll be able to see over the cross bunkers to the green and, and the pin. But if you miss it, you'll, you won't be able to see anything. It'll be, blind, It'll yeah. be completely blind. And so to find that feature, and, and we actually have a ground photo too, nearby this area where you can actually see it a little bit in the, you know our, the quality of the photos aren't great from back then but this one's actually pretty decent you can kind of see that plateau in there too so we really have confidence that we uh, got that right and there's this little notch in it too that's like further up so like it tempts you to lay up as close as you can but it's even more likely that you're gonna roll off or get some kind of funky side hill lie or something hey that's your podcast yeah. <laughs> there it is <laughs> well maybe that's a good place to to wrap up then uh bringing it back to the side hill lie so uh yeah no th there's gonna be a lot of cool stuff to see out there yeah i can't wait to find out more about the course as we do this. I think we're just going to keep finding out more and more. Yeah, it's more and more of those details, like you mentioned. And yeah, getting those right and some of the most exciting things to me. Right, right. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to see this come together, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what uh, where you go with all your uh, you know, mapping um, experience and kind of unique little niche in the, in yeah. the golf world here. So, yeah. Should be a lot of fun. Who knows what's gonna happen from here? So right, it'll be a right. lot, a lot yeah. of fun to find out, though. Yes, absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, Brian, thanks so much for coming on. It's been great working with you the last few months. Yep, it's been great working with you too. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been great to talk architecture as we're walking mm -hmm. around on the the sandy Lido site. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, can't wait to get out there and play. Uh, you know, in the next year or two, hopefully. So. Yes, that'll be really exciting. It'll be awesome. All right, well, thanks for coming on, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this was fun. All right, thank you again to Brian Zager for coming on the podcast. Great to get this interview out there. Um, I had a great time with Brian uh, working at the Lido. We played a bunch of golf as well. And I uh, really enjoyed talking with him, and, and he was nice enough to explain a lot of the different uh, technical mapping concepts and, and other things to me, which I found really fascinating. I should note uh, this interview was recorded over the summer, right before I left the Lido, so they've made a lot of progress since then. Brian tells me uh, 13 holes are fully grassed and uh, growing in. The other five are shaped in as well. So uh, they've made great progress this year, thanks in no small part to Brian's contributions. Also, uh, some exciting news for Brian. He will be working for Tom Doak this winter. Sounds like he'll be uh, traveling around a bit and probably doing some more of this sort of work. Um, so very excited to see where things go for him. And, you know, this seems to be potentially an, an emerging um, area of golf course design. Um, you know, technology has its limits, but it can also um, help 
make uh, some some parts of the design and building process a lot more efficient and uh, and faster. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where this goes and uh, any role that Brian plays in that. But again, uh, thank you to Brian for coming on. Please visit thesidehillai.com. You can find us on social media at the side hill lie. Um, the music is by Jake Kerman. I'm Grant Raffle. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next time on the Side Hill Lie podcast. <laughs>